Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, Mark, chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. This is kind of the midway point. And we're, we've kind of, we've talked about this and uh, in Mark chapter 8, 27 through 38 is where we're going to be. Peter has this statement. And as we got into this uh, gospel of Mark some five months ago, I think it was, as we started this whole quarantine thing. Can you believe it's been five months? And this was, the, this was it. This is Peter's account. He's given John Mark. John Mark's writing it down. And he's, he's building to this point that you are Christ. He is making this declaration that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so everything's been building to this point. And, and what's interesting is that Matthew's gospel gives us a little bit more about this, and he talks about the church. And uh, this week, I had the opportunity, before I read this, I had the opportunity to sit into, in a room with a bunch of local pastors. And uh, I, I didn't know what this meeting was. I just knew that uh, the association was going to feed me a lunch, and so I went. And, uh, you know, I walked in acting like I knew what this was about. Hey, good to see you guys, you know. And they said, Jeff, how's it going at Metaview? And I said, well, let me tell you how my week goes. I I preach on Sunday. I feel really good about it. I come in on Monday, and I have all these ideas of what we're going to do. We write them on the calendar, and by Thursday, we've erased everything that we planned. That's basically how it's going for the last five months, because we don't know what we're doing in the midst of all of this, and the church looks vastly different than it did five months ago, and uh, basically, all these pastors sat in a room, and we had a little whining fest about it. That's basically what the meeting was about, about how difficult it is. Because, and this is how I put it, the model is broken. The model that we've rested on all of these years is broken. But the principles remain the same from Scripture. That we are to be disciples that make disciples for the glory of God. And so even though the model's broken, even though there's, there's all of this stuff happening, nothing can stand against God and His Word and the proclamation of that Word. Amen? So, Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 20. We get a little bit more insight here from Matthew. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? What an interesting question. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's keep reading verse 17. When I survey the wondrous cross, that is not, I'll I'll keep reading here. We'll catch up. Verse uh, 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ, because it wasn't time for the cross yet. So this is a lot that's going on, but Jesus makes this statement. He says that the church belongs to him. The church belongs to Jesus. Colossians 1.18, this verse is written out in our lobby. He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head. This means that he is the leader and the God of the church. Number one, he's the leader and the God of the church. So this means that your pastor will pray, your pastor will seek scripture, your pastor will seek wisdom from elders, and we will seek what we can do to lead and guide the church. But it is is his church. 
he's, he's the one that leads this. It's his church. He will build it himself. This is, this is God's church. It also means that he is the source and the origin, the head of the church. Without Christ, there is no true church. He starts it. He builds his church. And this is exactly what's taking place in these scriptures. And not only that, Christ is connected to the body. He's intimately connected as a head is to the body. The church can't function without the mind of Christ, the word of God, and the direction of his spirit. And so Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He uses this word ecclesia. It's the first time it shows up in the New Testament or in the Bible for that matter. And and it's not even really a a religious term. It actually just means a group. It just means a gathering uh, uh, called out group. A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place and assembly. What an interesting word that Jesus would use to describe his people. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out of your homes. I'm calling you out of your sin. I'm calling you out of where you live. And I'm, br- I'm bringing you together to be the body of Christ. You know, church looks a lot different these days. But the church is still the same. It's still the same. It's his church. He builds it. We see in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, how this takes place. Peter's giving this declaration of who Christ is. And then we see Christ begin to build his church. And he says this, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were, what's that word? together. They were together and had all things in common. They were unified and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now you see this. They were being saved. They were receiving God's word. They were being baptized. They were continuing steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, breaking bread with one another. And in prayers, they were being the church together. Let's keep reading. It goes on. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And what happened? And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who builds the church? Christ. It's his church. It's his church. This, this, if Christ is the head, the source, and the origin, and is intimately connected to the church, then what can stop it? Can a pandemic stop it? Can quarantine stop it? Can a broke system stop it? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are part of something very special. We're a part of something that's a mystery It is God's own body. I like how R.C. Riley puts it. I've used this quote before. That's a little small, but I'm going to read it to you. And I've added a word that wasn't in the original quote. Nothing can can altogether overthrow and destroy the church. Its members may be persecuted, oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, burned, quarantined. But the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its afflictions. It lives on through fire and water, 
When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The Pharaohs, the Herods, the Neros have labored in vain to put down this church. They slay their thousand and then pass away and go to their own place. The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in his turn. The church is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world and will break many a hammer still. The church is a bush which is often burning, yet is not consumed. We are part of the church. This is a mystery. This is a wonderful thing that that Peter says, look, you're the Christ. And Jesus responds, yeah, and I'm going to build my church. I'm going to gather my people. You see, the church is a body. And you know this, it's not a building. It's a body. The church is is a family. It's not a function that you attend. There's something so much more intimate about church than just coming to a a service. The church is a sanctified gathering, not a people gathered for a service. I mean, this is this is what we do. And we some of us view online, some of us show up in person. But the church is something far greater. The church is what God is building for his glory. And we are all members of it if we make him Christ and Lord of our life. So this morning, as we jump into Mark chapter 8, tell me minutes to get there, but we're there. We're going to look at three things that are essentials to be the church. The first one is the church confesses Christ. So let's read there, Mark 8, 27 through 30. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. This should sound familiar. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he told him, and they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and other, others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. This is interesting, but who do you say that I am? This is a, this is a great question. This is the single most important question Jesus asked you because how you answer this question dictates your direction in life and in all of eternity. How we answer this question, who do you say Jesus is? And here's what's important. It's not if you believe. There's a lot of people who believe. It is what and how you believe that makes the difference. But who do you say? There's a lot of people that say things about Jesus, but who do you say that Jesus is? You see, if Jesus is just a good moral teacher, you like what he says and you try to learn to be a better person. And this is what you hear all the time. You hear people say, well, I need to get back in church. I've made some bad mistakes. I'm trying to get my life back on track. I need to be, I need to be a good person. I need to, need to be moral. Well, if Jesus is just a good moral teacher, then you're just going to try to be a better person. And if Jesus is a good example, then you'll try to live your life in a way that mimics his character, attitude, and expression of love. Well, not only do I want to act good, I just want to, I want to have a good attitude. I want to be good on the inside. And so I'm going to try to be more like Jesus. But if you believe that he's the Messiah, if he is the Christ, the Christ who came to the world to save you from your sin, conquer sin and death, rising from the grave to rule and to reign for all eternity, it will change your life completely. It'll change everything about you. He is the Christ. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And I tell you, you are Peter. The word Peter is a nickname for rock, right? And on this rock, I will build my church. Many of you have said, well, they're gonna, he's going to build a church on Peter. He's going to be the founder of the church. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth 
shall be loosed in heaven. It's not the fact that he's building the church on a nickname of a man named Peter. He's building his church on the fact that Peter declares and confesses him as Christ. You see, the foundation, the rock of the church is the profession of Jesus as Lord and the proclamation of the gospel message. What does, what does God build his church on? Peter did it in Acts chapter 2. He began to preach after Pentecost. He began to proclaim the gospel. He began to proclaim who Jesus Christ is, and God began to build his church off the proclamation of that truth. The church is built off the confession of Christ. From generation to generation, the spread of this one foundational truth of who Jesus is has built the church. It hasn't been social justice and good works. It has been the profession of Christ. If you go on on a mission trip, you you can't just go for social justice. Well, we're going to do this. We're going to help these people. You can't just go and be a good person and do good things. You have to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified because that is what Jesus builds the church on. We can't negate the fact that we are called to profess Christ because we're his church. If you want to see the church grow and be firmly established, then the church must confess Christ. And so... That's what I'm doing. But it's not just enough for me to do it because I don't make up the whole church. The church is to profess Christ personally for salvation and corporately for the expansion of his kingdom. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. This week I got to come and and, uh, see the the pre-K kids came and they got to have their little tiny day camp that they did. And we you know, we tried to social distance them, right? We tried to do our best. We let them go down the water slide. We made sure the water was safe. I don't know. So, you know, we did all the things we're supposed to be doing. And so at, there was an opportune time for me to go check on them. And that was during chicken nugget time. And so I had to go out and check on the chicken nuggets, make sure the chicken nuggets tasted good for the kids. And, and I went out there and they're all sitting around the table and they were like, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff, Miss Katie took water and poured it on the sand and it went everywhere. But Miss Katie took water and she poured it on the rock and it didn't move. And I was like, oh, so are you going to build your house on the rock? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's Matthew chapter 7, 24 through uh, 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus is the rock. And listen, if we're going to build anything, we've got to build it on the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Lord. If we build our house on anything other than that, it will crumble. And everyone who hears these, oh, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. You see, if if you and I, we choose to build our house on something other than the rock, if we choose to build our life on anything other than Christ, it will corrode. It it might be slow. Corrosion takes some time. It It might eat away and eat away and eat away until one day it crumbles. You built your life on something that didn't offer you eternal life. If you build your faith on anything other than Christ, it will crumble. And this is, this is it. So many of us have built our faith on, and I've said this, the model of church. To where when the model's removed, I don't know how to function as the body. I don't know how to 
how to read God's word and be discipled. I don't know how to take God's word and disciple someone else. I've relied so much on something else, and now it's crumbled. What do I do? If the church is built on anything other than Christ, it will be counterfeit. You see, you can build a church on lights and smoke and lasers and awesome events. You can have VBS. You can have camp. You can have all of these things. But once those things are taken away, well, should I go? Should I be a part of it? It doesn't really offer what I, what I came for. If your idea of church is built on anything else other than Jesus Christ, it will be counterfeit. It will be fake. Unless Christ builds his church on the declaration of the gospel, it is a counterfeit community, lost in darkness and deceived by the devil. How many are deceived? You see, this concerns me because Sometimes we build our faith and our home on something other than the proclamation of Jesus Christ. We build it on morals, character, programs. And what happens once it's all gone? Verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Often we don't realize how essential and important it is for us to proclaim Christ. Not only for our personal salvation. When we proclaim Christ, we then experience salvation, but we forget how important it is to proclaim it to others for the furthering of the kingdom, for the building of his church. It's the difference in someone's life and death. I mean, if you really believe that the profession of Christ is the difference between someone's life and death, you're going to share them. You're going to share the gospel. If it's the difference between someone's bondage and someone's freedom and sin, you're going to share it. If it's the difference between someone's eternity in heaven or hell, you're going to share it. But if we don't believe that it's the difference between these, then we won't share it. I like how David Platt puts it. He says, when Peter or the other apostles or any other follower of Christ, for that matter, proclaims the gospel, it is done under Jesus' authority, his authority to save sinners and judge sinners. Jesus' authority to save means that we can say to any person in the world, if you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you will be free from sin forever. That is a guarantee based on the authority of Christ and his word. At the same time, we can also say to any person in this world, if you do not turn from your sin, trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you are bound to your sin and its payment for all eternity in hell. Authority has been entrusted to us as the church to proclaim that message. It is everyone's responsibility. It is God's plan to save sinners. And that plan involves every member of the church proclaiming Christ. Church, we have a responsibility, the same as Peter's. You are the Christ. Well, what do other people say? What, what do you say? What is your life proclaiming? You see, if we have a new heart and a new covenant heart, we will proclaim the truth of Christ. Let me tell you, the, the prayer that I've been praying lately is not make me a better person. Not, not any of these things. It's, God, I realize I need a new heart. 
I realize that I need you to do a work in me because I just can't do it anymore. I just can't. I need to be changed from the inside out. And if you will change me from the inside out, you will get the glory. If we want to see sinners saved, we will proclaim the gospel. If we really want to see people get saved, we'll proclaim the gospel. If we want to see the church grow and be, the, be foundational and stable, we will proclaim Jesus as Lord. If we want to see God do a work, it begins with proclaiming him as Christ. But there's a deficiency in the modern church when it comes to evangelism. The de- this deficiency is that we believe it is enough to be a good witness and be a good person. So I have a question. Let me ask you, when was the last time your moral demeanor and act of being a good person caused someone to come up to you and ask you who Jesus is? When's the last time you just being a good person caused someone to come up to you and go, you're such a good person. I saw you ordered sweet tea instead of alcohol. Will you tell me about Jesus? Unless we proclaim him as Lord verbally, we're not fulfilling the call that's been put on our lives as the church. We can't afford to live by this quote that was unbiblical. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary by St. Francis Assisi. You see, biblically, a gospel demonstration and a gospel proclamation are inseparable in Scripture. If you see people who encounter Jesus Christ, number one, they will verbalize who he is. Number two, their lives will be changed forever. Think about the woman at the well. She ran back to all of the all the town, and she told them, he told me everything that I've done. Her life was changed. There was, there was both verbal proclamation and a life change. The church can't afford to adopt a weak missiology or evangelism that neither Jesus nor his apostles practiced themselves. We can't just say, oh, we'll just be good people. I'm going to steal a quote from Jeremy Richards' grandfather, Dr. Richards. What you really believe you do, everything else is just religious talk. Couldn't have put it better myself. There's a lot of religious talk. But we need to be a church that proclaims Christ. Proclaim him. The second thing is this. The church carries the cross. Picking up verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus, right here, he shockingly raises the requirements of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He basically says, if you want to follow me, you have to die. Now, if Jesus, this Jewish man, is saying this in the midst of uh, Israel during this time, there are people who carry crosses down the street, and they're carrying their cross to their death. So this is a, a very clear picture of you will die if you follow me. That's the requirements. What a shocking truth. Now, I don't know if you heard of this guy, author, blessed, but this guy, uh, he was a pastor, and he decided that this call was on his life, literally. So this guy has literally carried a cross around the world, visiting 315 nations, walking over 38,000 miles, and, ta- and taking more than 76 million steps as a physical declaration of his surrender to Christ. He carried a cross everywhere he went and preached the gospel. 
I wonder if when people saw him coming, they said, oh, bless it. <laughs> they don't get any better. Sorry. So, oh, Arthur, bless it. Okay, so this was, this was a literal take on this, but this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, look, you want to know how? You want to know whether or not you're really following Christ? Here, here's, the, here's the question. How do I know if you're following Christ? You deny yourself and you put to death the idol of worship of I. If, if you really want to know whether or not you're following Christ, have you denied yourself? And Jesus would say it this way in Luke 9:23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, what? Daily. It's not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. It's a it's an hourly decision. It's a moment-to-moment decision that I will deny myself and I will follow Christ because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Paul would say this way in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The mindset of a follower of Christ is it is no longer my life. I'm dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German uh, theologian, said it this way. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world, is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus, it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's from the very beginning. The the statement of, I confess Jesus as Lord, is is a confession that I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's keep reading. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. Jesus Jesus summons to the church, uh, the rich young man, was calling him to die because only the man who is dead to his own will can follow Christ. Remember the rich young ruler? He comes and he says, look, I've followed all of these rules. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And he said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. It wasn't the matter that he was rich. It was that he had not died to himself. It was still his life that he was living. He was just living a religious life. In fact, every command of Jesus is a call to die with all of our affections and lust, but we do not want to die. And therefore, Jesus Christ and his call are necessarily our death as well as our life. The call to discipleship, the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ means both death and life. Baptism, what a beautiful picture of carrying your cross. Being immersed, the word baptizo means immersed, I am fully immersed with the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am no longer myself. I have given that right over. I am dead to my old way, and I am risen to newness of life. It is now Christ who lives in me. 
And some of you have made the profession of faith. You've said Jesus Christ is Lord. And let me tell you, it's time for you to walk through the waters of baptism. It's a first act of obedience to say, look, it is no longer me. I deny myself. And this is going to be a huge way of denying myself by, by showing everyone that it is no longer me, but Christ who lives through me. So Christ builds his church on the confession of Christ, on the carrying of the, uh, the cross, and the last one, the true church counts the cost. Keep reading verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let me ask you, what's the opposite of being ashamed of somebody? Well, it's being proud of somebody, isn't it? Being proud of them, not being embarrassed to be seen with them. Yeah, I, I remember, and I, I'm ashamed of this. When I was a, a young teenager, before I could drive, I had to rely on my mother to take me to the mall, right? And the mall back in the early 90s was the cool place to hang out. Now they're all dead, and I don't know where all the stores are going. But back then, you went to the mall on Friday night, and you walked up and down the mall. It was like your way of cruising before you had a car, I guess. And so you'd walk up and down, the, and you'd be like, hey, what's going on? you talk to everybody. But my mom was there, and I was so ashamed. I mean, Mom, I love you, but you're not cool. And I want, I want to keep my distance from you just a little bit. Just, just let me walk behind you, you know, 10 paces or so. You can keep an eye on me, but let me look like I'm older. Let me look like I'm my own man. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to tell you that. And then I'd be like, hey, buy me this shirt, right? Um, <laughs> hey, I can't walk with you, but can you buy me some stuff? This, this is it. Like, if, if you get to a point in your walk where you're like, ah, man, I love you, God, I love you. But can I just keep my distance just a little bit? Can I just kind of be my own man? Can I be my own woman? Can I just, can I make some of the calls myself? Will you buy me this though? Will you give me this? Isn't that how some people live out their Christianity? Ashamed to walk hand in hand with Jesus Christ? Oh, I want you to be my savior. I want to spend eternity with you, but... Let me just kind of make my own calls. You've got to count the cost. In Luke 14, Jesus makes it even more clear. 26 through 33. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Let's keep reading. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go into war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Let's read that part again on the next. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. 
Here's the deal. If you're going to confess him as, as Lord, as Christ, if you're going to carry your cross and deny yourself, you've got to count the cost because one day it's going to get really, really hard. One day he's going to ask you to give up something you're not willing to let go of. But you have to give up what? Everything. You see, the gift of life is free to anyone who asks, but it results in a transfer of ownership, a life for a life. Oh, salvation is free. We're saved by the grace of God, not by works. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is a free gift to you, but you better, you better understand. You better count the cost. It is an exchange of my life for his. I'm all yours. I've given up everything for your kingdom. Disciples of Christ, the church, they count the cost, they carry the cross, and they confess Christ unashamedly. I'm going to end with this section of verses in 2 Timothy. As I went to uh, several of the services this week for the youth, it was so good to be able to see them interact with another church and to have friends in the faith and to hear God's word preached to them. And they, they would have these moments where they would go and they would read a, ch- a chapter of the Bible by themselves because we're, we're teaching them discipleship, disciples who make disciples. So this is what they do. They would go and they would read a chapter by themselves, begin to answer questions about that chapter. Then they would go and they would be paired up with somebody and they would ask that person, hey, did you read the chapter? What did you see? What are the answers that you got? And so they would begin to work through those questions together. Then they would go and they would go to a group setting and they would sit in the group setting and all of them together would talk about the section of scripture and they would go through the questions together. We're teaching them to read God's word, hear from the Lord and share it with others. And so this is what they did in 2 Timothy. They read this. This is Paul writing. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Listen, the church might look different. The church might be quarantined. The church might be spread out right now. But let me tell you, the word of God is not bound. It goes forth because the church declares Jesus Christ. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, sound familiar? He will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That last part, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You know what that means? He can't go against his word. He, he can't go against his own character. He can't go against his own word. He is faithful and just to do his word and his will. All those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. But those who turn a deaf ear, those who say no to Jesus, are facing an everlasting punishment. He is faithful to his word. John 10, 27 through 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. See, Christ Jesus builds his church on the confession that he is Lord. The members, the body, they pick up their cross, they deny themselves, and they follow hard after him, and they count the cost because they, they realize it's a life for a life. And you know what? Even though sin comes, even though failures come, Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. 
The church is built on Christ, sustained by Christ, and is secured in Christ. My question this morning is, are you his church? Have you confessed Christ as Lord, denied yourself and carried your cross, and have you counted the cost? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.